I was 11 years old. Uh, you would think I would not remember stuff back then, and I don't remember much. Watched the news before I went to school. I watched the evening news, and I want to tell you, this story was burned into my head. It was a story uh, about a pastor who started a church. His name was Jim Jones. He started this church in Indianapolis. It's attending it, but he felt like he did not have enough freedom in that place, and so he decided he would move that church, and he moved it out to California where it grew and got even bigger. And he still felt like his freedoms, the, the way he wanted to do life was restricted there, and so he came up with a grand idea he would convince people to go with him, which is, by the way, what they did. They were following him, not Jesus. He would convince them to go with him to a South American country called Guyana. And they would go down there and they would plant a utopia. And he actually convinced close to a thousand people to go with him. And they did. They moved down and they started it. It was far from utopia. Things were bad, and as he clamped down on the information that was getting out, family members and friends got worried. They started complaining to officials, and a U.S. congressman decided he would go down and just check on everybody, just make sure everybody was okay. And on the first day of his inspection, everything seemed to go just fine, but on the second day, as he was preparing to leave, people started coming to him and asking if they could they could get smuggled out on his plane, like, put us on your plane, we just want to get out of here. And he knew some stuff was wrong. Jim Jones found out about this, and he decided to put an end to it. So he gathered his security guards, which is a little warning sign, right, that maybe utopia is not happening. He gathered his security guards, who went and ambushed the congressman near the plane killing him and all the five A's that were traveling with him on this fact-finding mission. Now, he knew that this would not go unanswered. And so he came up with what he described. I'm going to use his words. He came up with a revolutionary act that he presented to his followers. We should all commit suicide. Uh, there were some survivors who escaped into the jungle. That's why we know some of the details that I can share with you right now. Not everybody willingly took the Kool-Aid-laced concoction. Some of them were shot with guns. Others were, guns were held on them while they were forced to drink. But I want to tell you, the vast majority of them took that concoction. And... When the Guyanan military showed up the next day looking for a missing U.S. congressman, this is what they found. This is the image that I remember from being a kid. There was them and so many more like them. 909 people dead. The vast majority of them by their own hands. I don't want to leave it up too long. Let's take it off. As disturbing as that is, it gets worse. Because a third of that 900 were children. And what the survivors told us was that the parents helped give their kids the concoction 
In some cases, they had infants that they held and they got an eyedropper and put an eyedropper of poison down their baby's throats. Others, they handed little glasses of poison-laced Kool-Aid to their kids and had them drink them. And I got to tell you, cannot comprehend that. Can't wrap my mind around it. Like, I, I know there are things that are outside of my control with my kids that are going to bring harm to their life sometimes. They're going to make bad decisions. They're, they're going to bleed sometimes. They're going to get emotionally hurt. They're going to, have, they're going to break bones. There's going to be stuff that happens, and that's life. But one of the things that I could control is not handing them a poison-filled drink. I can't comprehend how these parents thought this was the right thing to do, and they did it. Now, here's the problem for me. At times, I have felt that level of discomfort, like I can't comprehend it, wrap my mind around it, about a section of Scripture, too. We're in Genesis. Uh, we've been in a series called Abram to Abraham, and his name's been changed. He's, he's Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 22, something happens that's just hard to wrap your mind around. I'll, I'll just read it to you. God comes to Abraham and says this. Take your son, your only son. This is valuable to you, whom you love. I know you deeply care for him. Isaac, let there be no confusion. That's who I want. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to kill your son, and then I want you to burn him. And you know what? Verse 3 says, he sets out the next day to get it done. Like there's no argument, there's no conversation, there's no, hey, can you fill in the blanks? There's just some action. And, and maybe... Maybe when you read this section of scripture right now, there's not that much discomfort for you because you know the end. You know that when they get there, they're going to find a, a ram caught in some thorns. They're going to pull it out. That's going to become the sacrifice. Isaac's going to be okay, and it's no big deal. You know that, and so we read this story a little bit differently. Abraham didn't know that. You want to know what Abraham knew? Abraham knew that in the ancient world... Child sacrifice was common. And I've told you up to this point, um, God has come to Abraham trying to introduce himself to the world and to him. I'm different. And we've been showing you as we've gone through Genesis, like these differences that God had that was different than the other ancient gods. And all of a sudden, he's doing something that seems to line up with the way other gods acted Actions that the other gods would have done. And it raises questions. Why are, you, why are you making this request, God? Why is this in Abraham's story? And i got to tell you, I've, I've read a bunch. There's a group of followers of Jesus out there who say, all of those kind of questions are ridiculous. Stop asking them. Why? Because God can do whatever he wants. And we know he's a righteous God, so whatever he's going to do is just right. There's no need to have questions. There's no need to think about this. Just stop it. And is it my experience with the scriptures? 
is that they sometimes put problems in there on purpose so that you'll search, so that you'll have a conversation, so that you'll seek. And in your seeking, you will find something of value that you would not have found if you hadn't asked the question. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to let those two questions bother us a little bit. Why would God ask that of Abraham? Why in the world introducing himself to the world this way? And we're going to use two different um, interpretations to help us with this. Uh, One is going to come from a purely uh, Jewish background. I think there's some really helpful stuff there. And um, I I think it's clear that it's embedded. So we'll talk about that. And then I want to take you... Uh, to one that would have a Christian interpretation. And what I mean by that is uh, a Jewish rabbi would not have the same kind of connection and relationship that we have with Jesus. That colors the way we look at Scripture differently. And it will change the way we look at this section of Scripture. So I want to use both of those together because I actually think there's some really good stuff. Now, the reason um, the rabbis spend time on this section of Scripture is because there's a chiasm. I told you about this last week. If you missed that, that's okay. It's a pattern of writing that ancient Jewish people did that was meant to lead you somewhere. It pointed to something in the text that they wanted to make sure that you thought about. I want you to focus on this. The problem is, this one's one's pretty cool. I'm going to do it really fast with you. The problem is, the thing that it points to, it's, it's odd. You're like, All of this buildup for that? What's the point? Why are you highlighting this piece of information right here? And I think if we can pause there and think for a little bit, we're going to get some good stuff out of that. And then we'll move move to a layer where we're going to to bring the story of Jesus in. And and I think um, both of those interpretations will be helpful for you. So here's what I want to start with. I want to start with the pairs. There's pairs um, that would have been lined up in a chiasm. They would have been on the outside, and then they work into the middle. You find the middle. That's how you find the important stuff to talk about. So if we go and find the bookends, the two, and I'm going to move some of this um, fairly quickly, and then others I'm going to highlight because it's pretty dramatic what's happening in the pair. So um, the first pairs are found in verse 1 and verse 11. God speaks to Abraham trying to get his attention to give him the instructions to go and commit this sacrifice. And Abraham responds, here I am. And as he's standing over his son with a knife ready to put it in his heart, an angel interrupts Abraham. Abraham, Abraham! And he says, here I am. In both of those places, same words. You have my full attention. I'm present Whatever it is you're asking, I'm here. You have that in both of these instances. Now, if you start working in, you're going to find another pair uh, in verses 6 and in verse 9. And it's a concept pair. um, That's how you would get to it. Let me read verse 6 so you can see what's happening in this part of it. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And then in verse 9, it says this. This, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. In one of them, the wood is being bound up and placed on Isaac. And in the next one, Isaac is being bound up and placed on the wood. These are mirror images of what's going on. 
and they're a pair that helps you understand there's something cool there. By the way, very cool um, connection to our Christian interpretation that we're going to get to. Very, very important, that kind of stuff that's going on there. The third one, the third one, boy, it'll get you thinking. This is in verse 6. It says, as the two of them went on, what it says in the NIV, uh, Rabbi Rashi says, it would be great if you could interpret it this way instead. Abraham and Isaac went united in spirit and purpose. That's what it meant. And this first one that I just read to you was before Isaac ever knew or understood that he would be possibly the sacrifice up there. He didn't have any idea at that point. The second time this phrase gets mentioned, which is in verse 8, he knows. It's clear that he could potentially be the sacrifice. And the scriptures still say he went on united in spirit and purpose. Like if that's not weird enough alone for us to go, something is going on here, we better pay attention. Because if I found out that I was the potential sacrifice I'm using my wheels, right? Catch me if you can, Dad. I think I can outrun you. And I'm going to give it a shot. But not him. He's with him. And on they go. At the center of this is a small conversation between father and son. It's not overly dramatic conversation. Some might even say somewhat normal conversation doesn't seem to stand out. You know what's odd though? It's the only conversation recorded in the text between Abraham and Isaac. So for some reason, God thought this one conversation was of value. I'm going to put this one in. So here, here we go. He says, um, two, two times, three times, four times, he uses the same word, which actually creates two more pairs in this little conversation, and it's all done with the word said. Now, in the Hebrew, you have two options when you use the word said. You, there's two choices, and here's how they would be used differently. Let me just use an example so that you can hear it so you would understand why you would speak this way. If you heard me say, I spoke to my wife, Tracy, and that's all I said... Most of you would go, cool, he had a conversation with his wife. There's really no need for you to know more. You wouldn't want to know more. You would just know that I spoke with her. But what if you heard me say, and I said to my wife, Tracy, and then I didn't tell you what I said? Most of you would go, you're leaving me hanging. Why did you do that? What did you say to her? Now, here's the problem in the NIV. They, they tried to translate it to smooth it out because it's weird. It's wonky. And in so doing, they changed the meaning of the text. This is what they wrote. I want to show it to you up here on the screen. It says, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father. That's not what it says in the Hebrew. It's weirder than that. It says this. He said to his father Abraham, he said, Father. Now, the rabbis have looked at this and said, listen, God doesn't make a mistake. This is written like this on purpose for a reason. We have to figure out 
why something would be written so wonky, and it took centuries. Centuries of debate, conversation. We're kind of on the receiving end of all of that exploration. I love that. Here's, here's what they have concluded over, the, over time as they've wrestled with this. They said what it looks like is happening here is that Isaac and Abraham were in a conversation as they walked along. And all of a sudden, it dawns on Isaac that something is wrong, and he jumps immediately to a second conversation where he questions, Father? Question mark. And Abraham responds to him, and then he says this in verse 8. Seven. The fire and wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He's walking along, And he realizes all of a sudden, oh my, I could be it. And immediately he moves to a conversation. Father, we've got the wood. We've got the fire. Where's the lamb? If you were a father on a trek setting out to sacrifice your kid, how long would you wait to reveal that? as long as you possibly could, right? There are signs that Abraham has been dreading this very moment when this truth is revealed. One of those signs is the fact that his son had no idea that he was going to be the sacrifice up to this point. He just discovers this. But another one um, rabbis point out was the journey that he took. The scriptures tell us that it took him three days to get to Mount Moriah. But they know where Abraham was, And they know that that's a half a day journey to get to Mount Moriah. He's been walking around the long road for a while. Maybe talking to Isaac. Maybe in the quiet. Where he's getting some sort of reassurance from God that this is going to be okay. And he's he's working it here. Four said's. Four seds create a pattern in this little conversation, this dreadful conversation where his father reveals you could be the sacrifice. In fact, this is what he says in verse 8. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Never has punctuation been more important in, than in this moment. The Hebrew doesn't tell them which punctuation should be used. The rabbis cannot determine which punctuation should be used. They only know it's one of two choices, and they're very different. The one is the one you see on the screen right now. The second one would be the use of a semicolon. Let's go ahead and put that one up. You are the offering, my son. I don't know what happened. I suspect it had to be the first one because right after that in the text, the scripture says, they went on united in spirit and purpose. Why? If you understand that that could be your role in life is to be the sacrifice. Why? 
are you willingly stepping into this picture? The whole thing is disturbing. Now, in the middle of this conversation, again, we have four saids. There's three words that fall dead center of those pairs. So you have said, 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 said. Dead center is the response that Abraham said to his son Isaac. Here's what the NIV says. Yes, my son, which is understandable for us. That's not what the Hebrew says. Here's what the Hebrew says. Here I am. The very same words that Abraham used when God asked for his attention and he responded by saying, I'm fully here. I'm in. Like I'm present with you right now. Those are the words he uses with his son. It's interesting. Why those words? I mean, you, you can't help but understand that embedded in this story, there's a level of trust that Abraham is revealing towards God. But there's more here. There's more here because he's saying, I'm, I'm present with you, Isaac. What is happening? Maybe think of it this way. Have you ever been in a situation where you had no control? Um, at best, you were a support person. In fact, if you were in control, you could make a better decision than the person who was about to make the decision was going to make, and you know for sure. But you don't have that. They're going to make the decision. You're going to respond. You're going to have to do something based on what they choose to do. You're stuck. And normally what happens in this situation is not what Abraham does. He seems to take a different path. Because if you find yourself in what can only be described as a no-win situation, like I am not in control, the outcome of this is outside of my hands, and I'm just going to have to respond to this. The, the primary thing we do in those situations we run, we hide, we avoid, or we bury. We don't face them. We get out of there. We build a barrier between us and that other person so it won't hurt so much. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't dehumanize him. He doesn't make light of the situation. He says, I'm here. I know what you're facing, my son. And I am fully present with you. And the rabbis have looked at this over the years and said, this is what trusting God will end up looking like in our lives. You will step into situations where they're the they're worst possible moments on somebody's deathbed or a sickness or a bad choice that they made. And you, because you have a a trust in God can be fully present with them. You're only responding. You, you can think, no, Abraham had a choice. Up to this point in the story, he's been learning 
when God asks him to do something, it's wiser for him to do it than to not. It makes a bigger mess if he doesn't. And so he's been asked to do this. He's been asked to make the sacrifice. And in his mind, it's out of his control. In fact, I, I think as he walked around, as he walked around that desert for a few days in quiet, I think God had allowed him to come to some conclusions that allowed him to be in this moment loyal to God and loyal to his son by simply being present. Here's what the scriptures tell us. This is in Hebrews chapter 11. This is revealed about his motives. This is 1119. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did bring Isaac back from the dead. In his mind, when God said, I want you to take your son's life, his son was dead. But he had reasoned that God, who's been faithful to me, who said he would make a nation of multitudes, he's going to do this, which means he must be capable of raising him from the dead. That's the kind of trust that he had built up that allowed him to get into that awful moment and to be fully present. Sometimes, my friends, that is the only gift you have to offer people. Because it's their choice, and they're going to make it, and you're going to live in the aftermath of that, and it's going to be a mess, and it's going to be difficult, and it doesn't matter, because you could be fully present with them if you wanted. If you decided to trust God in that moment of terribleness, you could become an aid, a support. In fact, did you see what happened? Abraham talked to his son in such a way about his trust in God that they went on together, united in spirit. Listen, after this is all over, there's no indication that the relationship is broken up. Like they they still went on after this together. Even after his dad stood over him with a knife, preparing to plunge it into his heart. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not inviting my dad over for Christmas meals after something like that happened, right? There's got to be some boundaries in place. I can't trust you to walk into my bedroom at night and might hack me to pieces or something. But they didn't have any of that because in his darkest moment, Abraham was present and he was present with his trust that he had developed in God and he communicated that to his son and it changed how that story was written. Now I think that's beautiful. And I think that's stuff that we could use because in our lives we find ourselves in terrible moments that we would rather avoid, run from, or hide from and instead God gives you the courage to stand and be present. So there's that. I love it. I think it's beautiful. But I want to talk to you about a second interpretation that you could use too. Because if you pay attention in this story, there are some uncannily similar things going on in a second story in the scriptures. In fact, I'm going to give you a short list. This is not all of them. This is not all of the things that they have in common. But I'm going to read this and I want to see if you can figure out what story this has in common. In both stories, the father leads his son to be sacrificed. Each son is the one and only son of the father. 
The son is a descendant of Abraham. The son has been born with divine intervention. The sacrifices take place on the same mountain. The son carried the wood to the place of sacrifice. The son asked questions of the father. The son was submissive to the will of the father. The father was willing to sacrifice his son if necessary. The father loved the son. The son was laid upon the wood. The son was bound to the wood. The son went willingly with his father. The Lord himself provided the sacrifice. Blood was shed. The sacrifice was a substitute. The ram was caught in the thorns, a crown of thorns. The father believed in resurrection. Is it possible that early in the story that God wanted to introduce this idea that he would create a sacrifice for you and I. And that he was, what he was trying to introduce by asking Abraham to, to go and do this horrific thing was a picture of what he would do for us. You know what I've come to realize? My gut reaction of the horror of this section of Scripture is based on God asking Abraham to do something unthinkable that I don't think I could do, but I don't have that level of horror for God giving up his own son. It's never crossed my mind that that would be a horrific thing for God to face, that it would be that gut-wrenching and devastating to put it in terms that we could understand. But isn't it Isn't it kind of incredible that in a world where all kinds of gods were being represented in the ways that they dominated people, expected child sacrifices, this God said, I'll find a substitute. And when the time comes, I'll be yours. I'll be your sacrifice. And he willingly did that. I think there's power in this. By the way, I think there's power in the blend of these two stories. I've been thinking about them for a few weeks now. And I think the reality that God loved us so much that he would sacrifice for us is the place where we lay our trust that allows us to have the courage to step into each other's worst moments and be present We can do that because we know a God who loves us has not abandoned the situation. We might not fully understand it. We might not know what's going on. But because he's present with us and we decided to be present with him, dynamic things can happen. I don't know if you're facing a moment in your life right now that feels like it's out of your control. I don't know if you've been trying to hide from that, avoid it, bury it so you don't have to think about it. But can I offer you this idea that if God allowed that situation to come across your path, do you know he loved you so much that if you would be present with him, the two of you could move forward, united, in purpose, You could do it. 
could step into that moment. So here's what I'd like to do. Abraham had three days to walk around in silence with his son. I want to just give you a few minutes of silence. They're going to play a song that I think um, has some uh, pretty dynamic words that'll help you just offer up to God, here I am. In the moments that you need me to be in, here I am. I'm going to be fully present because of your sacrifice for me. And I hope if God needs to deal with something that's going on in your life, you'll let him do that right now. So just quietly listen, and then we're going to have somebody come and close.